What's up, Pit fans? Welcome back to another Pit Mailbag here on the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel and podcast network. I'm Noah Hiles. He's Chris Carter. Carter, another mailbag, another Pit football loss to talk about. Um, we're going to talk some basketball on this show as well. But, you know, first, before we get started, just your initial thoughts and reaction to uh, um, what Narduzzi had to say Monday in his press conference after that loss to Wake Forest. So a, a lot of things that I thought was interesting about Pat Narduzzi, uh, in particular with Christian Veyer with the controversial slide. Pat has always been a guy that sides by his players and goes against ACC officials, you know, not always calling them out directly, but saying like this, I thought this was wrong. I thought this was wrong. And a- after the game, when he, you know, he answered your question about it and he said, you know, he, he needed to dive forward. Pat recanted about that Monday during his Monday press conference. He even said, you know, I, I talked to Frank about it and he said, it's a safety thing. You're not supposed to dive forward for it. And he's like, he's like, when I look at back at it, I asked him like, when you look at that play, is that a play that you would coach your players to make? And he was like, yes, that is how you're supposed to do it. You cross the, the marker, you go down. And he didn't want to dwell too much on it because he was trying to, you know, not dive into and get into fine territory about ACC officials. But Pat Narduzzi, you know, went over. He was like, listen, we had several selfish penalties. We had Donovan McMillan, you know, problems. He said Donovan McMillan apologized 10 times over and was crying after the game because he felt he cost the team. He talked about how the procedural penalties on them, but he talked about the aggressive penalties, the defensive pass interference, the holding penalties. He says he feels like those have been very one-sided and that's lent to Pitt leading the conference in penalties and penalty yardage. Now, Say what you want about that part of it. I, I thought his his the way that he readdressed the Veyer slide was much better than his initial addressing of kind of throwing him under the bus for saying he needed to do that better. Because uh, I, I still think that call was ridiculous. But um, all, all things aside, I think Pat Narduzzi, uh, it's been an interesting, interesting weekend for him as far as how uh, calls are made and how Pitt reacts to them. We're going to talk more about that slide in a second here with our first question. But before we do, we need to talk about our show's presenting sponsor, which is Mike's Beer Bar. Whether if you're in town for a Steelers, Pirates, or Pit game, Mike's Beer Bar is right across the street from PNC Park and has the best selection of beer in town, as well as amazing food options. They have over 20 TVs, and you can catch all of your NFL, college football, Pirates, Penguins, Riverhounds, and Premier League action right at Mike's. Come on in and try one of their 500 different available beers, 300 of them, being local craft beers, as well as their 80 different local craft beers available on tap. You can also get a flight to try out every option you can dream of. And trust me, you won't run out of favorites because I never do, and I'm always there. Try their steak on a stone for an awesome meal, or you can choose how hot you want your steak cooked with a heated stone right in front of you as you enjoy a night out in Pittsburgh. Come to Mike's Beer Bar and get your sports fix and experience the best sports bar in Pittsburgh. Another uh, sponsor for this show is the Great Yinzer Tailgate. The Great Yinzer Tailgate is bringing the best of the Berg to South Point on November 4th, showcasing Pittsburgh's rich culture, iconic sports history, and vibrant community spirit. The Great Yinzer Tailgate will immerse you in unique in, in the unique blend of traditions that make Pittsburgh legendary. Visit www.thegreatyinzertailgate.com for more details. We'll see Yins there. All right, so Carter, you talked about how uh, Pat addressed the slide. I thought we could just kind of put a, a ribbon on the slide talk here. Uh, Someone asks, what was the slide? Why was the slide play not reviewed or challenged by Narduzzi? And just simply answer that question. He, he couldn't. Yeah, he can't. Um, so just looking at this call moving forward, I think, and there, there's a lot of, it, 
sports to me, like the worst thing that can happen in sports, aside from like a catastrophic injury, obviously, is when a judgment call is made on something that, you know, when you watch it in real time, you think it's pretty cut and dry. And if you're on the opposing end of it, you wouldn't say anything. Or if you're on the, you know, beneficial end of it, you wouldn't say anything. But because it's a judgment call, it can get a little murky. And I think that's exactly what happened here, Carter, where when does a slide technically start? And I, I, I don't know how to answer that. I've looked over the rules and everything, but <clears throat> I don't know. Like, you know, you can see so many freeze frames of that <clears throat> Bayer slide and some people posted, oh, look, like he's clearly starting to slow down and which signifies I'm starting a slide, like I'm about to pull up here. And some of those screenshots were like before the line of scrimmage, but others are after the line of scrimmage. And who knows if that's even a great angle based off where the camera's at and all that kind of stuff. Um, overall, though, yes, that can't be reviewed because it's kind of like a judgment call. And I don't know, just it's just one of those weird flaws that happens in sports. Uh, but <clears throat> it probably wasn't the right call at the end of the day. If if that's called a first down, nobody complains about it. Right. This isn't a topic. Pitt wins the game. We move forward. It wasn't called a first down. And even the ACC network telecasters were like, that's a joke of a call. And they defend ACC refs to the maximum on that network. Yeah. But even they were, EJ Manuels was like, mm, that's that's as bad of a call as I've seen. And, and my thing is this. It's a very simple thing. It didn't need to be all of this extra stuff. When the slide starts, when your butt and your thigh touch the ground. Not when you slow down, because if you slow down, then every quarterback that ever start that ever slows down, if Lamar Jackson isn't running 90 miles an hour, that's a slide because he's slowing down. That it's it's ridiculous. It's overcomplicating things. That was a bad call. The ACC just needed to come out and say, hey, we messed up. Should have should shouldn't have been done that way. And we can all move on and forget this whole thing happened and talk about things that Pitt can actually do to win football games and not be in positions where one call can kill them. I think the slowing down part, though, gets a little murky because, I mean, everyone will say, oh, because of the fake slide. Like, if Bayer starts to slow down but then fakes the slide or whatever, but the that's fake one thing. Slide but then one such time. A, right. Uh, it's such an anomaly. I completely agree. Um, and then the other part of it is, too, and I think this is probably the more relevant argument on, like, the slowing down element, is if you start, if you consider the beginning of a slide one when, like, the knee or the butt hits the ground, then I think that that gives an allowance to defenders to start tackling a guy who they still think is clearly sliding. And you can point to say, well, he hit him before his knee technically hit the ground, so he wasn't sliding yet. But I think once the ball carrier, specifically the quarterback, shows intent to give himself up, that's when the slide should begin. And I think that's before his knee or butt touches the ground. Now, before I let you, you retort here, I Carter, you. I will agree that in that specific instance with Bayer, where there's no one around him, like he's clearly going to get the first down unless if he just slides or like it, that that's such an intentful thing. Like it, the, the intent is so clear there where it's like, that has to be a first down. Like, I don't care what the judgment is. The guy's just trying to slide ahead of the sticks. And, and not, like, unless if his knee clearly hits before the line, which it didn't, 
that should have that specific call should have been a first down. But I do see the logic in saying a slide begins before the knee or the butt hits the ground. Here's my whole thing about this: the whole fake slide controversy was such nonsense that was in, in the first place. The line, the, the the defenders who were who were closest to Kenny Pickett were still ten yards away from him when, and that was the whole reason. He even said it like the only reason I didn't slide is I really, oh man, they're not even chasing me. Like I'm just running here. So mm-hmm. he just said, well, I'm gonna just keep going. It wasn't like the guys were a yard or two up on him. They were they were yards, several yards away, and it was you know a remarkable athletic feat that he did it in the first place. But it, it wasn't like Wake Forest was had to pull up and ooh, we didn't touch him because if we did, it was gonna be a penalty. It was laziness on their part, and Pitt. Put up a shout out to RJ Sepic, who does a great job always uh, on on for Pitt SID's department. But he put together a clip of plays where it showed like here's Pitt all through that same season where Wake Forest was complaining about how illegal this play was and how it put them at a disadvantage. Pitt's players running right up to a quarterback and he slides and they just stay over top of him and they say, "Hey, we made sure he slid." This the fake slide rule change. Was, was such a misnomer. It's just like, that's ridiculous because it was all because Wake Forest defenders weren't in position. They made a bad play. Kenny Pickett made a great play. That that was that that was something that shouldn't have been a thing. It's it's been done in the NFL. There's even times where you can you can touch a player who slides if it's like right before the officials give you that grace. That's why this this whole thing of start to slide when you're slowing down, it's nonsense. It's it's bogus. The ACC just needs to apologize and we can all move on. Yeah, and I I would say I think a better alternative would be just penalize if someone tries to fake a slide again. If you want to make that illegal, penalize penalize that. the ball carrier for doing a fake slide. That's that's go. the way you solve it, not making it a judgment call as to when a slide starts because Agreed. that's like an impossible interpretation. So Agreed. yeah, so I I do think yeah probably wasn't the best call, but like I do sympathize for the refs a little bit just because it's like. Just a weird thing to make a judgment on. It's a slide, for God's sakes. All right. We'll never talk about the slide again, hopefully. Okay. Ghost of Pitt script wants to know, which coaches do you think need to be considered for replacement based upon the results of their group and output on the field? I'll start this off by saying um, us specifically. Like, I don't I don't know. I'm not going to speak for you, Carter. I don't want to see anyone lose their job. Like, yeah, that's man. not great. I mean, that's like a big taboo in football culture as well. You never talk about a mother man's job. And while you can report on rumors about people being fired or speculate, like that's not my call to make. However, just going off of what I would have to assume. Um, I think the easy answer here is there might be a change at offensive coordinator. Uh, that just seems to be the easy answer. As far as other position coaches go, I'm not, Really sure if anyone else will get relieved. I mean, you look, the offensive line is super young and it's getting better as the year goes on. It's allowed one sack in two games. I mean, the running backs coach has been with Narduzzi for a very long time, Coach Powell, so I don't see that change being made. Uh, The receivers coach is new here and he's a pretty big-time recruiter on that staff, so I don't see that changing. And they have a lot of young talent at receiver. And then on defense, I mean, they're not going to get rid of Partridge. Manilak, I mean, they they have a lot of young talent at linebacker. And the secondary's been really good yeah. in recent years. So I, I think mean, the only coaching change that would be considered would be OC. Am I wrong to think that, Carter, or are there others? You know, I think one thing happens if you get a new OC, you, you the, the new OC might want some people with him. 
Um, I, I think right now, if you're being honest, you know, Pat Narduzzi brought this up. Pitt's receivers aren't dropping the ball and they are getting open. Like I, and I said this early on in the season, I wasn't so sure that um, above means lack of production was because above means or because they just weren't getting good quarterback play. And now we've seen over the last two games, above means looks pretty doggone good as, as well as the, the other Pitt receivers. <clears throat> if one drop in the last, uh, the last two games between 71 pass attempts. So that's, that's pretty that's, that's pretty good right there as far as a rate for those guys go. You know, I, I think the big thing about Frank Signetti is that this is a tough situation. I mean, Frank, you know, last year the quarterback play wasn't great. Uh, and I think Keaton Slovis, we can all agree that he started to he, – he's cooled off at BYU. It's not like he's a Heisman candidate there either. But I, I think Frank's biggest problems has just been personnel-wise. They just haven't gotten what they expected from the guys who they expected to make the biggest plays from, you know, giving Phil a start. Um, you know, schematically, I, I think the biggest thing is that Frank has leaned into things that haven't become Pitt's strengths so far. You know, this year they wanted to lean into the run game. The run game has not been a strength. It just hasn't no. been. Sebo Flemister has has turned into a good running back the last the last few games uh, that they, they can rely upon consistently. Um, and we'll get into the running back situation later. But this is a team, and I wrote about this on my Monday uh, film study. This team needs to be around throwing the ball with Christian Bayer right now. That's the biggest. I mean, you look at it on third downs. He was 10 of 14 for 130 plus yards and a touchdown. Nine of those complete, nine out of 10 of those completions were all of Pitt's nine third down conversions in this, in this game. And it wasn't just strong arm, just throw it up and get, let your guy. He was processing like cover four defenses, cover two defenses, cover three defenses. He was understanding where to go with the football. And this is his second start. I, I think here's the biggest thing about Frank Signetti, because for years I covered this team when Mark Whipple was the offensive coordinator. So many people wanted Mark Whipple fired every single year because they didn't like everything that he did. But he built chemistry with Kenny Pickett, and that led to 2021 when Kenny Pickett went off in the offense when he finally got receivers who could play consistently and catch the ball well. I think the biggest thing that's, that, that, that if you want to keep Frank Signetti around, it is purely because if Christian Bayer feels like I'm growing with this guy and I can keep learning. And if Frank says, I'm going to modernize this offense and get us to be a, a faster passing, more vertical attacking offense that will cater to the playmaking ability here, there. And if Pitt does that and they keep up the kind of, and they can get better on defense uh, in, 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 the, in the next few years, I think that there's there's space for Frank to stick to stick stick around. Um, I, I think that that's where things need to be. But if you're if you're a team and you're like, if you're Pat Narduzzi and you say, hey, we need a new direction, I get it. You know, you know, you, they've moved on from offensive coordinators before. Um, I, I'd understand it, but I just think that a big part of this needs to be what is Frank's connection with Christian Bayer. If there's a real connection there and Bayer feels like he's growing, you don't want to break that up because you bring in a new guy and it messes everything up. Then you could set yourself back again and put yourself in another bad spot. But I totally understand what you're saying about the offense hasn't worked for most of this season. That's a, and that's a Frank Signetti problem. I'm just going to look at reality here though, too, Carter, where it's Signetti's what the fifth offensive coordinator Pitts had in Narduzzi's tenure. I think so. Yeah. I believe that's five and nine years. Yeah. So that's. It's a bad sign that there haven't been probably is going to be gone. Yeah, there haven't been many guys who got more than two, three seasons to really figure it out. And even the ones that do well typically don't stick around for one reason or another. So I think what this is going to come down to is Panarduzzi clearly wants an offense that can run the football. And while, yes, I, I do think that Christian... 
Christian has a skill set that should be built upon and played off of that's far different than the last couple of quarterbacks that have ran this offense. And, and Pat even expressed that notion saying that, yes, they should be doing things differently. And I think that's a great thing. But at the end of the day, Pat Narduzzi wants an offense that is going to be able to run the football. And if that's not going to happen under Signetti, he's going to find someone else who will do that. Now, granted, they ran the football great last year. But I think it's clear based off the rhetoric that Pat had that he gives a lot of that credit to Israel Banacanda. He just thinks that Izzy was just a fantastic player. So I think that he's going to want an offense that can really just be better in the run this year. I think, you know, that that run first mentality or that identity led them to, to make those run calls on third and short and fourth and short last weekend that I think probably cost them the game more than that slide call did. Um, and yeah, so I, I think that, I just think that we're, we're at a point now where someone's head's going to have to roll for this season. I mean, I, there's just no way he brings back his entire staff after his second losing season here in nine years. I just don't see that happening. And someone's head's going to have to roll. And I would probably point toward the one coaching position that he continuously replaces. So that would be my guess. If anyone's going to get replaced, it's going to be the OC. Justin wants to know, what's the deal with what you can read this like uh, Jerry Seinfeld. What's the deal with Rodney Hammond Jr.? I'm sorry for everyone who had to hear that. But what's the deal with Rodney Hammond Jr.? Why isn't he getting the football this season? Carter, what is the deal with Rodney Hammond Jr.? Why isn't he getting the ball? You know, I asked Andre Powell that question a few weeks ago, uh, you know, during availability. And, you know, I said, you know, I saw him last year be like a power runner and look pretty strong in doing so. And he was like, what gives you the indication that uh, he can do that? that He could do that for an entire game. And and the moment I couldn't think of a game right away, but you brought up, you were like, uh, Syracuse. And then I also thought about uh, the Sun Bowl, uh, like like two games where he took over in Syracuse. I think he had a 20 plus carries for 120 yeah. yards and two touchdowns, had a very had a very good performance in the Sun Bowl as well. So that indicates to me when Andre Powell respond, responded with a little bit of disdain toward the question, suggesting that Rodney Hammond could be that full time back that could carry it all game long. It seems like Pitt's coaches might not believe in Rodney Hammond to be that kind of a player. Now, I will say this. Sebo Flemister is balling right now. He was the main factor that kept them alive against Virginia Tech in some of the plays that he made in, in, in that one. Um, <clears throat> he played well in their win over Louisville, and he ran for all. He became their first 100-yard rusher uh, in the in their in their loss to Wake Forest, and he was a big factor that kept them alive. Even though they were 0-5 when running the ball on third and fourth down in, in, in that game, he was, a, he was a big factor. I think the big thing is that Rodney Hammond, for whatever reason, whatever Pitt's coaches are seeing, He's not delivering the way that Sebo Flemister is. And Rodney Hammond has been a very good sport about all this. I haven't seen him pouting. I haven't seen him whining. He was like, hey, Sebo is just as good as me when it comes to out, him being out there as far as making plays. So he, I have no problem with him being out there and doing that kind of stuff. And Sebo is making very heady plays. He's running hard. You got to appreciate that. So if you're a Pitt fan just wondering what's going on with Rodney Hammond Jr., maybe the Pitt's coaches see something we don't. But I know what I do see right now is Sebo Flemister is running hard, and you don't not ride the hot hand, and that's what Pat Narduzzi also said on Monday. I mean, I have been told by a couple of sources that, yeah, durability is a concern for mm. that coaching staff when it comes to Rodney. And like you said, Carter, they've kind of alluded to that in, in numerous availabilities. I mean, Coach Powell that time, yeah, that's the one that stands out to and to build upon it. He didn't like your question, and he really didn't like when we pointed out 
But hey, what about the Syracuse game? What about the Sun Bowl? And he just said, oh, "I'm not talking about last year." And it was like, it was like, well, wait a second, you asked, and then yeah, he, like he asked us to name a specific time, and we did, and he didn't like that we did. And I, I think that yes, there is. I don't think I know that there is a concern about his durability, and I think it goes all the way back to camp, where you know we weren't allowed to talk about this injury, but Narduzzi talked about it in one of our Thursday roundtables, so we could talk about it now, where he was banged up in camp. And I think that's why he didn't get a ton of production against Wofford in the first week of the season, just because Narduz even said so. He said he was he was banged up in the beginning of the year, so they kind of took it easy with him against Wofford and even a, a little bit against Cincinnati. And I think it's safe to say that those durability concerns have continued. They, they don't know. I don't know if they don't think he's completely healthy or if they just truly don't believe that this guy can carry the ball 20 times a game, but whichever is the case, it's that's the answer. They they for for one reason or another, they do not feel comfortable giving this guy the football more than 15 times a game. I don't think he's had the I don't think he's had 15 plus touches once this season. I think his season high is 14 carries multiple times. I could be wrong. Um but yeah, he, I I definitely don't think he's eclipsed 20. So that's, that's the thing that stands out to me. And, and again, I think part of it also has to do with how some of these games have unfolded. You know, Pitt's fallen behind in the first half a couple of times. Like you look at the Cincinnati game, you look at the Virginia Tech game or the North Carolina game, they're in situations where they just can't run the football. They have to throw because they're down by multiple scores. Um, so that takes away rushing opportunities as well. But it, it's pretty clear that Sebo Flemister is the starting running back on this team right now, um, which is something I don't really think many people expected coming into yeah. this year. So to your point, most carries he's had in the, in a game so far, 14 carries both against West Virginia and North yeah. Carolina. Yeah. So if, if he's not getting 15 touches, that's I, I'm shocked by that because I thought coming into this year, Rodney would be a guy they made sure touch the ball at least 20 times. Cause look at how they did Izzy last year. There were times where Izzy was touching the ball 30 times a game, and they don't really have a guy like that. Uh, and I, I guess Sebo's working his way into it, but it, it is surprising that Rodney is not that player this year for Pitt. So we'll move on now. John wants to know, is it safe to assume that Christian Bayer is the answer to Pitt's quarterback problems, or is John wrong to be this encouraged by what he has seen? Carter, I'll let you start. Well, actually, I wrote about this uh, for my Monday piece after talking to Pat Narduzzi during his press conference. And I think Pitt has every reason to be uh, confident in, yeah. in Christian Veyer, not just because he's made uh, some big plays, not just because he has a strong arm. But when I look at the film, he processes the field very well. There are some of those third down conversions. They're not just he's not just throwing it up and just saying, hey, Kenny Johnson, go get it. And you're like, you know, above means is somewhere down there. He is reading what the defense is doing. There was one play on that first drive was third and 13. Wake Forest calls the right defense. Cover four. We're going to back off. You got to throw into it. Frank Signetti calls a really good play where uh, I believe it was Kanate Mumfield runs a seam up the middle and it forces the two middle safeties to back off of their quarters coverage and right underneath that seam because Dajon Reddles on an underneath post pattern, which is cleared open by uh, Mumfield's route. 
Christian reads it, sets his feet, throws it in rhythm. It's a it's a big 31-yard play for a first down. And there were multiple plays like that, even in plays where he like just missed. There was a there was a, play, a pass to Gavin Bartholomew on the sideline where he just sailed it just a little bit. But it was the right read in that the corner blitzed from that side. They backed off into a cover two. He tried to hit the window between the safety and the corner and just missed it. But he's processing at a very good rate. And this is just his second start. Right. And he, he has a strong arm. He's athletic. These are all the tools that I want in my franchise quarterback. And I'm talking about the NFL level. Like if I'm a if I'm a if I'm a, 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 a an NFL scout right now and I'm looking at Christian Barry, I'm like, I want to see that guy next year. I want to see what he does with a full offseason of preparing like he's QB1, know, getting to know his receivers, getting to know his game plan, and going out there and attacking in a system that works for him. How, what could he look like? Pitt absolutely has a guy right now who could be the guy for the next two years. That's Every every Pitt fan should be excited about Christian Bayer right now. I think that's as far as I'm willing to go right now. Uh, is this guy, what we found out from these two starts is Christian Bayer is the starting quarterback for Pitt next yes. season. They do not, I mean, they'll probably still bring someone in through the portal just because they need to add a little bit of depth. Um, and also, you, you don't know who's going to leave. I mean, Diefenbach could go or Yarnell could go. But I think that, yeah, they'll probably bring in at least one quarterback in the portal to be a backup. But I think it is safe to assume that Christian Bayer, barring something crazy, will be this team's starting quarterback in week one of 2024. And that alone should give a relief to Pitt fans because this position, since Kenny Pickett left, has been a major Achilles heel. It's some. It's a position that has not consistent production, and it's been a position that's, aside from Nate Yarnell, been played by guys who are seniors, right? I mean, Keaton had an extra year of eligibility, uh, but there was no guarantee that he would be back. And Nick Patty obviously had an extra year of eligibility, but he was a senior, and 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 Phil this year being a six-year guy, there was. There was always a concern about the future of this position. And yes, it, it looks like some of those concerns are alleviated. I'm not going to sit here and say that this guy's the real deal just yet, though. I mean, he looked decent against Louisville. Um, and he looked really good against Wake Forest. But Wake Forest is a pretty bad secondary. I think they were like third worst in the league when it came to passing yards allowed heading into that game Saturday. And I'm not taking anything away from there. You got to play who you got to play. But it is encouraging. I think, like I said, at the very least, this is the team's starting quarterback. They do not have to worry about trying to go into the portal and find a starter this offseason. They have that guy under center. And assuming everything goes well in 2024, then yeah, he'll be the starter in 2025 as well. And there is a lot of potential here. But yeah, you want to see things continue to build. I'm really, really excited to see him play at Notre Dame. And, at, and just not just against Notre Dame, but for the rest of the year, Look, this team's not going to make a bowl, probably. Like, I think that's a safe assumption to make. But Christian Bayer gives Pitt fans a reason to watch. It kind of actually reminds me, this uh, this this slide call reminds me of um, in 2007. LaShawn McCoy was like the breakout star of that mm. year, right? And he was, uh, and, and I'm not going to compare Bayer to the greatness that was Shady at Pitt just yet, but... What I'm saying is that year, Pitt needed something to root for and rally around. And while that year often gets remembered for 13-9, to the final game of the season, yeah. uh, prior to that game, the story was Shady McCoy. It was, look, this is an offensive yeah. piece that we can build our program around and hopefully be good next year, and he's going to be back next year. 
And that's the thing with Bayer. I think he can be kind of that similar role. And ironically enough, you know, I, I think that McCoy had a game, I forget who it was against his freshman year, where he like fumbled right on the goal line at the end of the game. And it was like a heartbreaking loss. And um, that was kind of like a, wow, like even in his like worst moments, you still see the potential. Like he's going to learn from that mistake. He's going to get better. And I think that slide was like a moment for Bayer where it's like, even in a good game, he messes up or whatever, but like, that's a mistake that's not going to happen next year, probably for this guy. So I agree. Pitt has someone that it can really rally around and look forward to. I don't know how good he's going to be yet. So I don't know if he's going to be, you know, the next Kenny Pickett. I'm not calling him that, but yeah, I think Pitt does have its starting quarterback for next year and a player to watch for fans. Um, We'll wrap it up with a basketball question. Uh, we probably should have clarified this. I, I'm, I'm recording this show from Charlotte, North Carolina. I wasn't at the press conference Monday because I will be in uh, North Carolina for ACC Media Days for basketball, the ACC tip-off. Girls ba- or Women's basketball is Tuesday, men's basketball Wednesday. I'll be at both. A lot of good content uh, planned for those two days. Um, so with that being said, Chip wants to know, where do uh, we have pit basketball being ranked in this year's preseason poll? Chris, I'll start with you. Where do we have them? I have Pitt ranked like top, like, like right around the top eight in the mid, yeah. in the middle of the conference. It, it is just very tough for me to compare Pitt right now with the fact that their their backcourt is going to be new. It's going to be guys that we haven't seen before, and especially with Jalen Lowe and Bob Carrington. Those two guys, if they are if they are huge playmakers, and let me say. I like what we've seen of them in practices and the highlights we've seen from scrimmages. I am very excited to see their first exhibition game and to see how they lead into this season. I think those two guys have all the talent to become superstar guards for the Panthers. But all that being said, so much of the games that were won by Pitt last year were won by veteran guard play who understood how to pick each other up, how to win in different ways. Not just Jamarius Burton, but Nellie Cummings was huge in that. Greg Elliott was huge in that. Nike Sabandi was huge in that. It was the four of them being able to rotate in and out. If, if two of them had a bad game, the other two could pick each other up, and it could be any one of those four. I'm not so sure that th- that, that can happen just yet with this team. It could. It could very well, but... Oftentimes, just my watching college basketball, it's the teams with the veteran guards that have been there, that have been battle-tested, that often grind it out and find ways to win in those games. I think Pitt can be a bubble team. I think Pitt can be a team that that does well to early this season, but when they get in ACC play, they'll start to feel, okay, this is how the pace of things play. I also think their front court could be very good. Blake Hinson looks like he can be even better than he was last year and could be the superstar of the ACC. I think the Twins could be better. Fetty could be better. All those play into factors that I think that this Pitt team could be a serious contender. This is this this should not be a year like the years leading up to last year under Jeff Capel. This should be a year where they're right in the thick of things all through it. And even if they even when, you know when the ACC tournament happens, I see them being a team that can get one or two wins before they face like you know another Duke type of team that can just bring all the superpower to to the court. But I think Pitt can be a competitive team this year. So preseason poll, I have around 7th, 8th-ish right now. But I would not be shocked to see them jump up and get into the top four again this year if they start strong. I'll start by saying this. I think the ACC is going to be a lot better this year. Um, If you just look at some of the teams that – I mean, Duke is going to – and I know North Carolina opened the season at number one in the country last year, and we all know how that played out. But I I think there's – 
legitimate reason to believe that Duke's going to be very good. Uh, you look, Miami lost its two best players, but it still returns a ton of talent and it added some guys in the transfer portal. So Miami's going to be really good. Virginia is always going to be a ranked team. They're always going to be what they are. I expect North Carolina to be better this season. I just don't see them missing the tournament two years in a row. And I think Clemson's going to be really good. So just looking at those five teams right there, I think those are five, in my opinion, five locks to make the dance, which I think five is what the ACC sent to the tournament in each of the last two seasons. But then you look at, there's other teams. NC State's a team that could probably make the tournament. Wake Forest, I think, is going to be better than it was last year. Same for Virginia Tech. And Pitt is in there too. So I would say, as far as I my voting goes, I think I get to vote for this down here. I know Chris does like our weekly voting. Um, I think right now, and I as I conclude my research, I would say Pitt is not in the top five, but is higher than 10. So I think somewhere six through nine, I like around the eight-ish range, like what Carter said. This is going to be, Pitt's either going to be, in my opinion, based off of everything that we have to go off of right now, Pitt's either going to be the, the last team in the ACC that makes the dance or the first team to miss it. I think that that's like kind of a fair assumption based off of the way things are right now. Now, there are factors. If, if Bub Carrington ends up being this stud freshman that some people think he's going to be, then Pitt's stock's going to go up. If Blake yep. Hinson, I mean, Blake Hinson, there's been a lot of talk about this weight loss and he does look slimmer and, and he he has the potential to be better, but I, I want to see it first too. You know, I want to see him because some of it's not durability. Some of it's being able to stay out of foul trouble. That has no, that has no pending on how much weight you gained or lost in a season. That's just making decisions. So um, there are just some factors here, but yeah, I'd probably put Pitt around where you said, Carter, seven, eight, nine, somewhere around there, just to begin the season, which again, that would be the highest Pitt has been picked in a preseason ACC poll. Um, if we put Pitt at eighth, that would be the highest preseason prediction for Pitt since Jamie Dixon in 2014. So it's in a good spot, I would say. I think it's in a really good spot. And, and again, I think one thing that really plays into this, I wrote about this and we've talked about this before, but Jeff Capel, when he brought in his first freshman group of guards, uh, Xavier Johnson, Adi's, uh, Adi's Tony uh, and Trevor McGowan, like that whole group of guys, they were talented guys. Everyone knew that, but there was no one on the team that could set the tone as far as, Hey, we know what success is. You better fall in line. They ran things. I think Jason Wilson frame was the only guy carrying over from the Kevin Stallings days who I thought was a real talent and, and had real start starting capabilities there. And it was, he, he, there's no way for him to corral all these young guns who were going to be getting starting time and going to be given the reins of the program in the, in that situation there. These guys are coming in. There is a culture. Blake Henson's part of it. The twins are part are part of it. Fetty's part of it. Even William Jeffers is a part of it. There's something to identify with. And there's success to look to. They were just in the tournament. They were just a, a, one of the more talked about teams for all the great things that they did and great moments that they had last year. There's something for Bub Carrington and Jalen Lowe to identify with, including Marlon Barnes and other guys that are being transferred in, like, like Ishmael Leggett and guys like that. I think there's so much potential in this team to build on that and keep moving forward with a really good core here. This is the chance that Jeff Capel has been waiting for. I'm very excited to see if he can get this team to capitalize on it. It's going to be a more fun season than football seasons, Ben. I agree with that. I think that's safe to say. Carter, any final thoughts as we wrap it up here? 
Uh, just that I'm excited for basketball season to get started. Uh, and we still have a lot to break down as far as football season. I think Pitt at this point, if they, they would have to pull off multiple miracles to get bowl eligible, uh, with this wake forest loss. But I say, but I still think the big thing to watch is can they morph this offense around Christian Bayer to at least be more exciting, more moderate and give this passing attack more chances to win games and switch their emphasis. If they're able to do that in these last several games, it's going to create a lot of interesting conversations for how this team needs to look next year. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and keep tuning in to the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel and podcast network for all of your Pittsburgh Post-Gazette sports coverage. Take care, everybody. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Thank you.